Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Scanline Status, a new semi-regular podcast from us here at Scanline Media. I am your host, Colin Detmar, and I am joined by Johnny Thelonious Arkin Niska. How are you doing, sir? That That is not my name. That What's is your my... name? Have I is our is our relationship bounded on a falsehood? What's your name? Your Tell name the people. Niska? Right, that's what I said. <laughs> it's, and it's about half of what you said. Hi, I'm Ben okay. Uncle is also here. Our our the co-founder of Scanline Media in the digital building. <laughs> How are you today? Doing very well. It's an honor to be here. It's your podcast. <laughs> You're not a guest. <laughs> Still an honor. <laughs> All right. Well, in any case, um, this is our our attempt at trying to form a more uh, scattershot podcast. You know, a, a podcast about what we've been doing lately, what's been going on lately, and just a general discussion podcast as opposed to our very topical ones that we've been doing otherwise. Um, Turns out we do things that aren't just fit for one hour long discussion. <laughs> yeah. So I guess my first question is, uh, Ben, what have you been playing lately? Um, I think better thing would be what haven't I been playing because, uh, have you been playing Dota? No, I have not been playing Dota. <laughs> have you been playing League of Legends? I get your point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I've been playing Uncharted 4, which is really, really fantastic, by the way. And so is uh, Doom, which has also been really, really great. There's probably two other things, or three, or four that I'm forgetting right now that I've also played. But, uh, oh, I did play this one weird... uh, It was a remake of a 1987 adaptation of a movie of a game. I mean, of a book. Um, Let's go with that one. Let's go with that one. Okay. Um, I need to find the name really quickly because it's kind of a complex complex name to remember off the top of your head. Okay, here we go. It is called the Abbey of Crime Extensum. Okay. That's a hell of a uh, so, name. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, that is that also the name of the book? Uh, no, the name of the book and the movie is uh, The Name of the Rose. Oh, yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> you say, yeah, of the... course, as if any of that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I know The Name of the Rose. So, so it, it, it does? It does. Have okay. oh, you read it before? I know it mostly by reputation. Oh, okay. I don't, but it's still... The, the, the relation between the names of the game and the book makes no sense. <laughs> So yeah, basically, it's it's kind of an interesting project because aside from being a game based on a movie, based on a book, it um the original it was made originally for the ZX Spectrum, but uh the person who made it committed suicide in 1999 and uh the person who directed the film also died recently. So it's kind of made as both a memorial to those two and a it's kind of a it combines elements of uh, the game to stay true to it. Like, the controls are very sort of archaic. They're sort of 
there are ways to there are options to control it using which way you're pointing with your actual keyboard otherwise it's just hold forward and you move forward wherever the character is pointing like it was originally and they also changed all the character looks to resemble them of the characters of the movie so your character a friar is a looks exactly like Sean Connery and uh yeah, basic, basically the plot for it is uh, you're kind of considered this this friar who gets things done in the community, I think. And uh, you're called to this specific abbey because there's been a really... There's been this really gruesome sort of death in that area. And uh, it's basically this... From my understanding, it's traditionally this top thriller that unravels over time I didn't really get to see much of that because I tried it when I was already pressed for time and um, it's very clearly a game based on a ZX Spectrum game Like, uh, there's all sorts of things that they don't explain at all like the text kind of started draining of its color and I was like okay since it's saying day one or something that's likely their system of time, and there's no conversation continue button. They just keep talking from screen to screen, and you can't really control the pace of that. And it's it's very much a it's very much a old school sort of game with much much nicer visuals, which is kind of a weird contrast. You're used to games from you're used to. People trying to emulate retro platformers or 90s horror games or things like that, but you're not really used to people trying to replicate this very specific time in PC gaming that was pretty awkward. Sure. Um, So do you feel like, I mean, so the gameplay is kind of like not not well-explained, kind of disorienting. Um, Is the writing, like, compelling from what you saw? Again, I saw very little of it, but it did make me kind of interested because those sorts of stories, this sort of uh, good and evil plot taking place within these religious places where you're not entirely sure who's on the good side and who's on the evil despite whatever they're wearing or what their professions may be. Those sorts of stories just really appeal to me in a base level, like... I like angels and demons way more than most people probably should. The, it's not a very, it's Dan not a Brown very book. good book. <laughs> I mean, I, but, uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed Dan Brown. He he writes enjoyable garbage. I will say. Yeah, he he ba- basically movie adaptations with Dan Brown don't need much work because they are pretty much already film blockbusters in the form of a book, but. uh yeah, it's it's one of those things that I'd definitely be more interested in exploring if I can somehow get over the really old way it plays and how it doesn't explain much of it. Have you seen the movie Doubt? Yeah, I, I really, really liked that. They, that. That also combines my love of those sorts of morality plays with really, really small character pieces like... A handful of actors, uh, 
stuck in a room for a few hours. That's really appealing. Yeah, Doubt is this really fantastic movie, uh, basically centering on a on a priest who is accused of uh, of sexually abusing a child, and the entire point of the movie is like you you spend the entire movie not knowing whether he did it or not, and there's no answer, and you just observe what happens and form your own answer. And I really, I'd like to see more movies like that. <laughs> Or some games like that. that. Yes, definitely. I mean, isn't isn't that in a way like her her story, what that tries to go for? I mean, I think like I think there's not like I don't think it's like I don't think her story is super like up. It's not very upfront about the answers, and there are some things it leaves vague. But I think basically, like there's there's a right answer to a lot of the major questions, so not not as much. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about that, Ben? Do you agree? Yeah, it's it's a lot less uh, ambiguous than mo- the stories you're talking about, Johnny. I think a better example, game wise, would be Sherlock Holmes: Crimes and Punishments, because there were a few cases there where I had no idea what they wanted me and i thought i knew or at least i had an inkling but there was no way i could be 100 percent sure and they give you enough it's one of those things where in most adventure games like phoenix Wright, you don't really get many red herring clues in sherlock mm-hmm. holmes crimes and punishments you get enough clues that fit multiple different interpretations of what happened and that plays into what you can ultimately decide and there's a button to pretty much press that says, here's what the real answer is, but that's something that the game actually dissuades you from ever pressing. It says, hey, if you do this, it's probably going to break the experience for you. you. And instead, it's just like you choose something and then you move on and then you never really find out how that affected things. Do you in that one find out for sure what happens at the end of a case? Only if you press the... Well, you you find out what happens because of your choice, but you don't, unless you hit the show me if my answer was right button at the very end, you don't see any of that. That's cool. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's the one thing that, like, the board game Sherlock Holmes um, uh, consulting detective that's the one problem with that game is that at the end it needs to show you the answer because there's no game to like th- there's no game to advance the plot it lo- to advance the plot either way like you you need to know if you were right or not <laughs> hmm. yeah that can get pretty messy at times and it's really it's really like it's a design challenge that i don't think is really solved yet um giving players interesting red herrings without it being frustrating, right? I, I think that... I think the consulting detective does it well most of the time. There are some cases where... where the red herrings are really dumb. <laughs> but but I, I also don't think that those would work as well in, in video games, right? Like, in a board game, it, it is a little different because you can have a lot of this stuff to sort of make the texture of the world. But, like... I mean, just as a really simple example, in a video game, 
if you see a if you see a door and you see that the te- the doorknob is a texture and not a model, you're like, oh, okay, I can't go that way. Like we're so used to reading into so many little details of how it's produced and how it's sort of lit and framed to know if it's important or not. And we're not even always conscious of those that I imagine red herrings in those sorts of games, even if they're meant to just be like, oh, here's some fun detail, could be really frustrating. I mean, like, I, th- I think you'd have to make a game that deliberately deliberately plays with how the game is made to achieve that. Like, there are, mm-hmm. there are of course, examples of games that... Uh, that play with the presentation and play with the interface in ways to uh, to fool the player or tell the player things. Games like Undertale. But that's already super hard to do, and doing that while also trying to do something new with the narrative, that's mm, uh, difficult. Yeah, yeah, there was a... There, to cite a recent case of that going wrong, one of the things I read in uh, Cameron Kunzelman's review of Homefront the Revolution was uh, basically there was a type of door throughout the game that was never interactable before. Like, it it had a very specific look to it. And at some point in the plot, they have you... They ask you to go to a specific hideout. And the hideout is with that same door that throughout the rest of the game, the, the game has been teaching you, no, this door doesn't work, you can't go through it. <laughs> Except it wasn't as some sort of clever thing. It was a honest mistake in communication like they didn't really think of how players might get really stuck at this mm-hmm. yeah uh, for, all, for all we can curse QA and games that have been QA'd to death um, some basic QA is good <laughs> yeah because I mean human minds are just like when we are dropped into a game if we are dropped into any setting our brain starts trying to make rules about how it works Yeah, and it's it, really eager to do that sort of thing and it's really easy for that to be led astray we find patterns everywhere including where there are none yeah so johnny yeah you had a little assignment basically that you gave yourself but uh you were going to check out galaxy's uh free content patch the void yes and i did so and i finished checking that out literally like just as we started this um Mm -hmm. the void is not episode 5 as had been initially reported on the internet it is instead a a a, like endless mode that also comes with a daily challenge version and it looks like some additions like obviously some gameplay tweaks but also like some new power-ups and things i think i think so i didn't see any of those but i've i've heard a few people notice something like that so so we did a podcast on galaxy some time ago yeah talking about our frustrations with the game's sort of like flow and structure yep do you feel like this addresses any of that? I so I've only played one daily run on this, so I I can't speak definitively. And also, also, it's been a while since you played, so there's a possibility that there's some level of like, oh right, this combat's really fun. It is, <laughs> it is, and also there there was a level of oh god, I'm playing badly because I am still not used to the controls yet. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I. I 
the the thing that it does, like having a daily challenge, is good because that's just like that's a fun thing to have. But the thing that this endless mode does that feels really at home with this game is that when you die because it gets too hard, it doesn't feel like you're like sent back in time in progress on a campaign mode. It's just it it feels less like the game invalidating your progress. And that was one of my big frustrations with uh, the main campaign, especially with the crash coin system. That if you had yeah. a bad run, it's it no not only invalidates that run, but then it invalidates the next one because you're not gonna get enough crash coins to have a good run there. And then you need to do a decent run there to get enough crash coins to then finish the season. And that was a mess. You don't have to deal with that here. It's just play the game, play the missions. Don't worry about the weird structure around it. And I'm not sure if that's that's enough to bring me completely back in after all this time. Maybe it's too late, but I feel like it's a big improvement. And they also added in uh, arcade mode. I guess they added that with the PC release, yeah. right? Where um, where you play through the campaign and it checkpoints after every level instead of ever after every mission. Yeah. Um, does that work the way you would think? Where it's just like if you die, then you restart the level with your power ups. I have not played the arcade mode. Because that sounds like what I want. Like, I don't have a problem with Galaxy's difficulty mostly. Season 4 at times gets really fucked. Um, but, like, as you as you alluded to, there's just this, like, there's this concept of, like, a power debt that you accrue when you fail in Galaxy, where not only are is like, not only are you then less powerful because you've died, but also your next run or maybe two runs if your next run is not great, you're just weaker than you would be, and you have to build up to having a run that matters. Yeah, and if you happen to have enough crash coins to continue, it's this gamble of, oh, do I think I can actually pull it through, or am I going to go to this next episode, eat it again, and have nothing going forward? Never do it. Yeah, like... I. Uh, we talked about this on the, the that episode of the podcast, but uh, after you gamble, even if you you succeed, you are have then lost those crash coins for the next run. So if you gamble the crash coins and then you beat it and you unlock the next season, then you go into that season with nothing anyway. It's just not worth it. it, it I still say that my gamble was worth it because I, I did it on that ter- try and I would probably have needed several more to beat that season. But it still feels like the game's fu- game fucks you when you do it. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I'll, I should get back into it. I, I never actually beat it. Um, and with arcade mode, maybe I would. And also I'm interested to play some of The Void. And maybe season 5 if that ever happens. With, Who knows? with arcade mode, maybe I would. But also, like, maybe I would just rather play The Void. Maybe that that's a better structure <laughs> for this game. Maybe. Maybe. I wish I I wish I could get into daily challenges the same way you two, be, you two seem to be able to. Like, I, th- I think it's a neat idea and concept, but... It's it just becomes another commitment sometimes, and it's just hard to essentially. I I guess I'd rather have more structure and some less of a 
daily thing to come back to since there's so many now. Ever since Spelunky, there's I can count so so many that have come out. Like Dirt Rally has one, and doesn't Dirt Gungeon have one? I'm pretty sure it does, but I could be wrong. Does what? Enter the Gungeon have a deadly challenge too? I haven't seen it if it does. Maybe I just haven't poked around in the options enough, but I've played about seven hours of that game, and I don't, I, I don't think I've seen one. There's, there's definitely a lot of those. Crypt of Necrodancer had has one as well, and I played that a bit. And there's starting to be the sense that it's hard to find people to compete against in any given one. Mm-hmm. And that's because yeah, there's so many. That that's something that we're gonna have to uh, like. That's something that game developers are gonna have to address going forward, like. You, you need to find a way to do this without making it too much of a commitment. And one of the ways is to make a daily challenge mode for a game that's quick to do. But maybe we should be talking less about daily challenges and more about weekly challenges or something like that. Yeah, nu- Nuclear Throne had it, and that was one that I used a, a fair bit of. Um, but I think, like... Like, Spelunky worked because, I mean, at least at the time, like, so many people I knew were playing Spelunky because it was great, right? Yep. But, like, I mean, Ben, you've gotten into, like, high score competitions and stuff, and, like, I don't know, like, the SSX, uh, Dirt, uh, Geometry Wars, like, what makes, like, Daily Challenge to me is just a version of the high score run that is, frankly, like, I can stomach because the problem I've talked to Johnny about this before, but my problem with the idea of a high score or a time run is that to a certain extent, it just biases in favor of whoever has the most time to grind against something. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And that just like, okay, so if I want to win this, like obviously a person who is good at the game will do a lot in a single run. But a person who's not as good but has five times as much time to commit or is willing to commit that time is usually going to prevail over them. And that's not satisfying for either party. That's definitely a problem with with some high score stuff. I mean, that's one of the reasons I like playing, uh, playing these things against friends because then you can make sure that, like, people are playing relatively the same amount. Mm-hmm. And, like, I had some rivalries going in SSX, for instance, that were like that. But, um... That I, I have no interest playing against a global leaderboard. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, at some point they just become either lots of time or they found an exploit because all the numbers near the top are exactly the same. Or they're just so much better than me that it doesn't matter, right? Like, no, you're not you're not cheating and you're not, you know... It's just you're just so much better at this than me than competing that competing with you is pointless. Yeah. There are lots of games where like <laughs> the game I am probably the best at is Dota and hey, <laughs> I am so far from the top of that game it is comical. Yeah, but so. Dota's a lifestyle game for so many people. Sure. It's like saying sure. the best sport you're the, the sport you're best at is tennis, and it's like, yeah, you can be really good at tennis, and you can still be nowhere near the top. Sure, 
Sure. It's just like, I mean, my point is more just like, I don't think there's a game that I am in the top 10% of competitors in. I don't think there is a game in the world that I am one of the top 10 players, top 10%. And so with as many people play games now and as much internet access and stuff, global leaderboards are just a thing that will never be relevant to me again. I can think of two examples where I probably were in the top 10, and that was Smash when I played that the most and Dust Force before the rest of the that community ran away from me. So, uh, just before, well, okay, just before we started this was you playing Galaxy, Johnny, but just before that was me doing a stream of the uh, Hitman uh, Sapienza level, which I think, Johnny, you caught you caught some of. It was on Twitch and you're in Europe, so that was kind of bumpy for yeah, you. Yeah, eventually, you know. by, by the point you had finished your main run, I was so far behind that I couldn't, that there was no point to me remaining in chat because I was like five minutes delay. So I just went and played Galaxy instead. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, what you missed in my my other run is that I lured the man to the uh, to the. What's the word I want to use? The place with with the telescope. The observatory. Yes, I lured the man to the observatory. I put on a home video of like himself with his mom and some like terrible music, like over like a bunch of stills. And then disguised myself as the as the plague doctor and like posed in place and then stabbed him while he was watching the video and it was good. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, you you can you can actually wear that costume. Uh yeah. which I didn't realize. Yeah, totally. I uh I saw it in a in a previous video I saw of somebody playing the game and I was like, I bet you could put that on and I bet it's the best and it was. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, everyone has said that the, the way they're divvying up the levels is great and makes you explore the levels more and that it's really fun. I just like, I figured out with this game that I've been playing Hitman wrong all these years. The answer is don't take a gun, pick up random things and throw them at people. The the answer is the answer is don't treat don't treat Hitman like your serious <coughs> stealth game. Treat Hitman like a murder playground. Treat Hitman like throwing a coin down a hall and then someone inspects it, throwing an axe into their head and then picking up the axe, and then someone sees the body and walks up to it, throw an axe into their head, and then pick up the axe and then <laughs> uh. One good thing that I saw another person do was just like pick up a bunch of cans and like have several cans in the inventory and just like throw a can on one person, stun, take out the next can, throw it on the, the next person. <laughs> yeah, uh there was there was one point where uh this this run ultimately failed, but I got into the uh the place where the virus was being kept and there were two scientists there who were suspicious of me and I was like, shit, what do I do? I need them to leave. Fuck it, and I walked up and just, like, shoved the knife into one guy's, like, throat and then spun and hurled it into the other guy's eye. And I was like, okay, good. <laughs> Room's clear. <laughs> They've left. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, I am really enjoying that game, and I don't care about its its meta-narrative at all, but I'm curious to see what other locations they take us and what other amazing disguises I can get. Because, yeah, like, putting on the, uh... <laughs> the plague doctor disguise and taking the two knives off the table 
and then just like, oh, I'm suspicious to literally every single person because I am a dude in a plague doctor outfit with two knives. That's fair. <laughs> I am literally from Assassin's Creed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that would actually be the best Assassin's Creed burn is if there was an Assassin's Creed, like an assassin outfit from Assassin's Creed, and the second you picked it up, everyone's like, wait, shit, it's an assassin. You know, like, you were immediately the most suspicious guy, because of course you would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. I have a weird interest in the story, because maybe it's just because of how gorgeous all those cutscenes are, but there's just something about the that character and the way that he delivers all his lines, even though he's saying he's saying really neat things, but they're neat things that make no sense. But just the way that all that stuff is delivered just makes me like, yeah, I want to see where this guy goes next. Yeah, I, hmm. I, I'm, I'm actually kind of into those cutscenes, and I'm because they're bad, kind of, be, kind of because the story makes no sense. Yeah, and I, I wonder if they know because they've clearly figured out what people actually play the games for, but, do, but yeah. do they know how bad the cutscenes are? <laughs> I mean, at some point, their next target is going to be Gary Busey, so I'm pretty sure that they, at least, they're they're not taking the story story seriously in at least some level. Hmm. It appears like they're taking it really seriously. Like, hmm. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, in any case, these are all games that we've each played, like, by ourselves, but there is a game that both of you have played that has come out recently, which is Doom. No, that's the Duke game. <laughs> Hold on, wait. Shit. Groovy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the Doom. Tell me about your Doom. My Doom is... No. Uh... <laughs> so... This is, this is the game that, like, nobody thought would actually be good, right? Like, they showed off a private version of the, uh, this, like, ages ago, and nobody who saw it liked it, and then they scrapped it, and you're like, oh, okay, this is never gonna work, and then they come out with this game, and the single player is the best shooter I've... Like, it might be the best shooter of this style I've played. It might be better than Doom 1 and 2. It's certainly more flashy than Doom 1 or Doom 2, but in the in really smart ways, like... Oh, yeah, like, it, it's it's super easy to be like, oh, it's just a dumb shooter, and it's like, no, like, I mean, it looks dumb, and the story is dumb, but it actually, like, the the best of these arena shooters constantly make you, make you question, like, where to go next, where do I move, how do I dodge this, and wh what position do I be in? Like, the positioning is a super active thing in Doom, as they are in all the best, like, fast arcade shooters. And th this might be the best version of that I've ever played in a single-player campaign. Yeah, and uh, all the... All the des character designs and animations are cartoony in the best possible way. Like, there's so much life poured into enemies I wasn't even a big fan of in older Doom games. Like, I've never been too into that floating eyeball thing, the Cacodemon, but it actually has a lot of personality in this one. And 
I don't like it floating near me. I, I didn't <laughs> mind the original one, but this one's like, oh, no thanks. And even the pinky just has so much... It it just has so much more character to it that it used to. Like, it has that little dinosaur tail that it hates when you pull off, and it... I would also hate it if you pulled off my tail, yes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, of course, they somehow managed to turn Doom Guy in the most generic protagonist of all into this just searing rage of anger that just ignores everything that you're directed to do. Well, you're still kind of doing it, but in his particular way. Like, you hit a button to shut off something, and instead of shutting it off, he'll break it. Much to the dismay of the person on the other line, Samuel Hayden, this doctor type. But, yeah, you're basically... You're basically like... Hey, you you woke me up, and I'm going to do things my way, and I'm going to end this, and you can just sit back and watch, or help. The Doom Marine you're, you play as in this Doom is like the, the physical embodiment of the concept of a silent first-person shooter protagonist. Like, that that's all he is. He is just, he is just violence. He is just violence. Violence and anger. And it's great. It's fantastic. And it's like it's like the 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 same but the, but opposite thing that uh, Wolfenstein did because Wolfenstein was like, well, we let's let's think about who this character is and let's think about who this character realistically would be if he was a human being. And Doom is like, let's think about who this character is. Let's think about who this character actually is and not the character he would be if he was a human being. <laughs> yeah, and the fun thing is the all the characters around Doom Guy basically it's basically how would this how would rational people react to having this completely anger I mean this sincere force of anger just running around breaking everything, like which ways would you try and direct him and kind of give up on the fact that you're gonna change him, but still be like, okay, I'm just going to point you in this direction. Have at it. Yeah, he seemed like... From what I've seen, like, you two are the ones who have played it. I have not. I have just seen some gameplay. But it seems like he's not a person. It seems like he's just, like, the incarnation of the concept of demon murder. Kind of. Which is pretty great. I'm not entirely sure how this fits in with Doom 1 and 2. It clearly doesn't fit in with 3, right? But, like... Well, I think... I mean, I don't think it's the same... It could fit in with 3. It's just that it would be a different Doom guy Like than 3. The way I read it is that this is literally the Doom guy from Doom 1 and 2. It seems like it. Like, he is... You start the game and he is encased just in a tomb of rock, and like it's just enough room for for him to fit in the rock. That's all all the cavity <coughs> there is there, and the, the, there's people worshiping this tomb, and then they open it up, and there's just demons everywhere. And you wake up, you kill the demons, you pick up the armor, and then you get a codex entry that refers to yourself as the Doom Marine himself. Demonic invasion in progress. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot. There's a lot of. 
you get a lot of prompts and error messages and like, this door won't open because there's too much demonic invasion right now. Please clear out demonic invasion to continue. Not quite in those words, okay. but... Demo- demonic invasion is at an unsafe level. <laughs> no, that, that <laughs> like... literally exists. I know. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm also a... The way that levels play out is actually almost like a song. Aside from the really, really awesome, what, what, however they compose that specific type of thrash metal or whatever the name for that specific genre is, it just fits so well with everything on the screen. And Doomarine kind of has this rhythm to him that you don't see in any modern first-person shooters, and I'd argue you don't see it in the original Doom either. It's that speed combined with glory kills that you'd think would get old, like tearing people apart the same way, but something about the speed of it is perfect enough so that never really bothers you. And basically everything just feels perfectly timed, like you're in part of a big music piece. And sometimes they make that more obvious than others. Like, I'm in one of the early... I just got through one of the early hell levels, and... Basically, every time you clear the a specific area, the music switches over to these this angelic choir singing for about a minute. <laughs> so you 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 reached hell. Are the key, are the key skulls? I need to know. Are the key skulls? Yes, they are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they know what game they're making. They know what they're doing. Uh... Yeah. I I need to play more. I need to play more. <laughs> there are, like, in, in my canon of the old, the the, the old style first person shooters that are really good. There's Doom. There's Doom Two. There's uh, Duke 3D. Despite all the sexism, it's it it's one of the best playing ones. I wish it wasn't, but it is. And there's Painkiller, and now there's this one. There hasn't been one since Painkiller, and now there's this one. It actually also shares some DNA with uh, time splurges of all things in the snap map stuff. It's not exactly Mario Maker easy to create a level, but it's very much it very much has that time splurges feel of here's all this prefab stuff and this really simple, easy to understand way to snap it all together. And I've I've played a few levels of that, and it. People are doing some neat things with it. They're doing the obvious Mario One One stuff, of course, but they're also of just trying to make really. They're they're doing clever things with lighting ways to tell you where you need to go next and all that sort of stuff. So, I think I wanted if if it's with your permission, I would like to close us out with one final topic, which is. Fallout 4. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, I think we've all played some Fallout 4. And they've been releasing a bunch of DLC. The latest one I am hearing very good things about. Wait. They released Fallout 4 DLC? Jesus Christ, I have not been paying attention. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, they've released like three pieces now. I, it's twenty five dollars. I kind of, I kind of um, just like tune out whenever it comes up. I guess. Well, I mean, that kind of 
I kind of was the question, which is, is it possible for us to care again? And I guess we'll start with John. I mean, yes, but not yet. Like, I will care when they're done. When they're done and there's the complete game I can play, then I, and, and there's mods available and I can just, like, install the game, get all the DLC, get uh, check out if there's any mods I want to play with, and then play it through once. I don't want to do the thing I've done with previous uh, Bethesda games where I play it several times throughout its life because new DLC comes out. That doesn't work for me anymore. Hmm. I'm really interested in playing it myself. Um, I Mostly because of... Well, most people like to play things because they're good. I like to, I'm interested in the idea of playing <laughs> Fallout 4 because its narrative sounds like a mess in a really interesting way. Like... I'm always kind of interested in going into stories like Killzone or whatever and seeing the ways that they fail to reach their potential in one way or another and diagnosing why. But uh, the DLC does sound really interesting. Like the things I've heard of, I think its name is Port Harbor. Something like that. I think that. that's right. Yeah, Far Harbor. Yeah. Uh, that That just sounds like a very interesting sort of concept. I'm into this idea of raiding the sort of nautical ship or just spending more time near the ocean fallout 3 which i played a decent amount of you don't play it or and in new vegas you don't spend a lot of time around bodies of water or doing anything with them and i just think that it's nice to go to something like that i also can't help but notice that the far harbor dlc is 25 dollars for that pack alone so i'm definitely considering just Either seeing how much, seeing if there's a sale on the season pass, or just waiting for them to bundle it all together. Mm-hmm. I, the, the, I have two, two, two things to say to that. One is, I think it's remarkable how little time you spend near water, considering how much of in Fallout Three, considering how much Fallout Three is about water, and. It, I guess it just comes down that most of the watery areas are surrounded by the city area, which was just completely instanced and a weird maze. Yeah, well, and also, the, your, the plot is about water, but the plot is about how much the water sucks, and they need to fix the water. Sure. So it makes the, sense. The plot that is you... about how much you don't want to be near water because it's lame and for nerds. <laughs> yeah. Not really. Also, the other thing, it's like, I... <sighs> I still find this so weird because it's, and I know I know it's because of New Vegas. I know it's because of New Vegas, but I I still find it hilarious when when uh, when Fallout Four gets so much shit from its story, and I'm sitting here. But at least it's better than Fallout Three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it is. Okay. I don't think it's a lot worse, but I do think it is worse than Fallout Three's story. Do you? Um, I mean, fuck. Dream's story was so bad. Four makes no sense on the face. Like, Threes is, like, dumb, but Threes is like, okay, you lived in your vault this whole life, and now you head out to the wasteland and try and find your father, and, you know. But, like, I mean, this point has been made a million times by a million people, but you go into cryosleep and wake up in the apocalypse and barely bat a fucking eye, and it just, it just stupid as hell. Um, I, like, for me, like, I asked the question, 
would you guys go back? And I expected more negative answers because my answer is no. My answer is I don't fucking care. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> because. I, yeah. <laughs> like, I am, I am the guy who doesn't like the Elder Scrolls games. So this type of game, it is hard for me to enjoy them. You have to do a really good job. And specifically, I would say you have to do a good job of of building a place with character. And I don't mean like, like, oh, you need some really cool buildings. A place needs to be filled with people that feel interesting and lively. And like, I need to have interesting ways to interact with it. And that second part is really crucial because like in Fallout 3... Like, someone comes to you saying, like, hey, you should do this thing for me. And your options are to be, like, no, yes, or yes and pay me. And it's just, like, that's not interesting to me. I can't care about that. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of flack when, uh, there was a lot of flack when it it came out that the way that you interact with people in Fallout 4 is very truncated and based on mood rather than what you actually say. But the the really damning thing about it is that in the end it doesn't really matter what you choose anyway. So it's not like they had to put the full lines in there like they did with 3 in New Vegas. With those games, you could actually have some room as to what you could do with them. And this charisma and all that sort of all those other sorts of stats ultimately don't make a lick of difference as to how you how you actually play. Charisma does, but that's basically the only one who that makes any difference to conversations. And I think that's bad. But, like, they, they've they made the... For me, it's like they've made the worst part of Fallout worse, and but they've made the parts that I actually enjoyed better in 4. With... I mean, like, the combat and stuff is better, and I guess, like, the, their system... The one thing I will genuinely laud them for is their system of radiation is far more interesting than it has been yeah. before. Yeah, and for, for me, it's like... For me, Fallout is like this cartoonish... Uh, cartoonish apocalypse survival thing where I just walk around and fight off hordes and hordes of raiders. And all, all that stuff is better in 4. And also, like, I, I've been, been through this, but... P- playing my character like that ca- cartoonish thing, it leads to th- th- it actually kind of works that the dialogue is so bad <laughs> hmm. yeah I mean like, and I know like this is Fallout 3 did do this stuff better than 4 but only barely yeah. but really I was so spoiled by New Vegas, New Vegas yeah. where like I would have conversations where it's like they're like oh this generator's broken and I'd have an option to be like science and be like oh clearly it's broken because of this or repair oh let me fix it or like barter well let me talk about how much it's going to cost you to have me fix it and just as you say in Fallout 4 it is either yes no or persuade with charisma and it's just like I it makes the whole game feel so bland. New Vegas was made by people who knew how to make a, a role-playing game. And the thing, like, it doesn't surprise anyone else I've talked to, so I guess I'm crazy, but the thing that blows my mind is they got them to make New Vegas for them, and then they took zero lessons from New Vegas. No, they they, they took they took uh, Iron Sights aiming. <laughs> no, they took that from Bioshock. Yeah, they... 
what was it? basically it's also kind of made me realize over time that you talk about complex interactions the way that Bethesda Bethesda's engine and stuff like that it just isn't capable of providing a level of immersion in the way that their story claims that it does like this was most emblematic in New Vegas where you got to this place that's supposed to be hustling bustling and there's like five people in the whole town and it, with uh, Fallout 4 there's barely anyone around at all and even when there are things like uh, putting together establishments and stuff like that whatever the base building mechanic is that's just such a that's kind of a really dull way to interact with a world like that yeah I mean, I don't entirely agree. I I love the base building stuff, actually, but I. <sighs> Bethesda doesn't know how to make a role playing game. Bethesda <laughs> doesn't know how to make a game. No, that that's 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 that that's overly harsh. They know how to make a game. They know how to make a very Yankee game. They're the same people Just who are like... making. Um, Doom and the New Order and all that stuff, so clearly they... No, they're not. They're the people publishing yeah. that. They didn't make any of that. They hired other people to make it for them, and they're very good at hiring people way more talented than they are. That's true. <laughs> yeah, like... I, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's remarkable how Bethesda has, has become a good publisher. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> no. no kidding. <laughs> Uh, wet was such a promising start for them that you just... You oh, know. God, Wet. I guess, like, for me, this is sort of... This is, like, a, a backlash, right? Which is, like, for a long time, you know, I was like, man, fuck Bethesda, they're terrible, and nothing they do is any good. And then I was like, well, maybe that's too harsh. Let's give them another shot. Oh, wait, no, fuck them. Fuck this. You guys are terrible. Yeah, I... <sighs> Ben, I know you've you've gone you've talked you've said before that you think that like if they can't make these games better, like on a uh, if they can't stop these games from being the terrible buggy messes that they are, then they shouldn't exist. And I I'm glad they exist. They're they're terrible buggy messes, and and seriously, never go to fall to the Bethesda game if you want the serious experience because. It, it, it's a broken cartoon world. But I can have a lot of fun with that broken cartoon world sometimes, so I'm glad it's there. Uh, I think you... I think you also... You're, you're kind of saying that, though, but you, you both just spent the last five or ten minutes talking about how much you have been kind of disappointed by Bethesda's thing overall. And aside from... It, it sounds like the one thing that I've heard positive throughout this conversation is that the it's fun to poke around in something that's kind of broken and that doesn't sound like a strong argument for they should continue making broken things i mean i don't think anyone should like i don't think there's any harm in someone making something even if it's bad right making things is, is a good thing to do but also like I mean, I could rag on the problems of Persona 4 for a whole podcast, and in fact, I might get an opportunity to coming up. And it's still one of my favorite games ever. Like, the fact that something has a ton of problems doesn't stop it from having a ton of and merit. Like, the, and, the like... Thing, the thing with uh, with Bethesda games, and especially the Fallout ones, like, even Fallout 3, 
that does like these games do something for me that no other games do. Like the I I can't get into the open world stuff in the Far Cry games. I can't get into that. I never could. But in Fallout I can. In Fallout I can get into the just roaming around and seeing what what's there and shooting people in the cool cool places that are there. That's yeah. a pretty fair point. Like uh when you come down to it there's Really, nothing else like a Bethesda game. Yeah, and like it comes at a cost. It comes at the cost of being the yankiest shit around. And like, you, you can have the most amazing, fun combat experience that feels really dynamic and cool and unpredictable in believable ways in that engine. And I've had those in Fallout 3 and in New Vegas and in 4. And then you have the times where some fucking NPC aggros you for no fucking reason and bugs out a quest and you spend hours just trying to figure out what's wrong and then eventually just abandon that entire quest line because fuck this shit <laughs> like th- those, bo- those both <laughs> exist in the same thing and you can't have those like the reason that the reason that those surprising moments exist those positive surprising moments exist for the same reason that the bad surprising moments exist. It's all the same fucking broken sandbox. <laughs> Guys, I hate to, uh, to, to to pull the rug out from underneath you, but I'm afraid we actually have a different last topic. Oh no! Okay. Taco Bell is about to launch a new taco. It is called the Naked Chicken Chalupa. And it is a chalupa where the shell is fried chicken. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So that's basically like the, uh, whatever it's called. The a Double KFC. Down from yeah. KFC. Yeah, it's yes. KFC yes, from it Double is. Down. Okay. Uh-huh. What the fuck's a chalupa? Uh, it's, it's like a taco. That's a good enough answer. I don't, getting into it, it's very is it scientific. Like, is it like it's a like hard a taco. shell taco? Taco. It is like a it is like a crispy but kind of fl- it's it's like if you deep fry a pita kind of like it's crispy but a little fluffy. Huh. That's you could probably ask the Taco Bell dog. Is is oh, you could look up what he said. He's uh, had a number of ads throughout the years about chalupas. <laughs> <laughs> we were getting feedback like it's so healthy. It's so fresh. Kate Garcia, Taco Bell senior manager of marketing, told Bees BuzzFeed News that really surprised us because it's fried chicken. <laughs> Consumers are idiots. <laughs> I mean, like, if it tastes fresh, that's one thing. What the fuck? Who said that's healthy? <laughs> it has avocado on it, so people are like, oh, it must be healthy. Which, by the way, avocados are not actually very good for you. I mean, they could be worse, but they are But lots they of are fat. literally colored green they must be good well i kind of missed my boat for going to taco bell to get one of those cool overwatch cups so yeah you did you should, i got you mine should have gone. <laughs> yeah probably i mean but then i would I have mean, had to eat in taco bell <laughs> taco bell gets a bad rap That's a long silence right there. That was a long silence. <laughs> I, I, everything I, I've ever heard about Taco Bell has made me made me be like, if I ever visit the United States, I'm not going to Taco Bell. The song is pretty good. The what? 
the food is a, a thing you can put inside your face. Yes, there are lots of things you could put inside your face. I'm just saying it never gave me stomach troubles. I know that's a thing that some people have experienced is some digestive turmoil. Never been an issue. The majority of Americans who have talked to me about Taco Bell have said that they have experienced that. I mean, it's basically a meme at this point. Some of them probably... I'm not saying that they're lying, but I'm saying people blow it out of proportion because it's the thing you say about Taco Bell. I... I see. Before uh, Chipotle became the thing that you say about Chipotle, essentially. Hmm. Okay, so no other hot takes on the naked chicken chalupa? I Look, I... Have you ever had Double Down? No, I haven't. I hear that the grease burns your hand. That sounds unpleasant. Sorry, Johnny, what were you going to say? <laughs> he doesn't Nothing know. Nothing of value. <laughs> I'm, I'm, All right, I'm, folks. I'm, like, look, there are conversations we could have about American food that I probably would have interesting responses to. Taco Bell is not one of them. So, next episode, we will have a big conversation about American food. Will we? But, until then... Yes. Okay. I'm excited now. But until then, I think that's it for this first episode of Scanline Status. Uh, I am your host, Colin Detmar. You can find me on Twitter at 6264. Uh, Johnny, where can people find you? You can find me also on Twitter at Yoni Warp Zone. Ben, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at, at JBU3. And of course, you can find all of us at ScanlineMedia.com, where we do articles and videos and podcasts about games and how how much they resemble fried chicken. I don't know where I was going with that segue. You can find this podcast on the Scanline Presents feed on iTunes. You want to give us a rating or review? We'd really appreciate that. This is That's no joke. That's how people find out about this podcast. If you want to hear more of us talking about Taco Bell, I can't promise that that will happen, but your best odds are to promote this podcast and help us get the word out. And if you like what we do... You can go to patreon.com slash scanlinemedia, toss us a few dollars so we can cover more games, and all of that money goes towards getting us new stuff to cover games with. None of it goes into people's pockets. And uh, until next time, guys, thanks for joining us.